Okay, so you're listening to Fanatsu. This is the eighth episode. I am joined today with uh, Mike. Mike, I don't know your last name. It's Mike. It's Mike. Mike Mike, uh, who goes on Facebook by Metallic Sindalu. And uh, Toby Gonzalez is here. I I just met this guy. Uh, It was my first time meeting him in person. We've been uh, friends on Facebook for a while. Um, And uh, the reason they're here is because they are... Uh, what would you say out, outspoken? Do you guys speak publicly about these things usually, or like anarchism and uh, political philosophy? I wouldn't say that I speak publicly on it. Yeah. Um, anybody who knows me will have these conversations with me. Yeah. But, yeah. So it's a given then, right? Like. Yeah. Cool. I think yeah. I, I have a tendency not to reveal it all the time because mm-hmm. um, a lot of people don't. They don't have a positive connotations. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's why we're here, really, is because I think that there's a lot of uh, things we can take away from um, creative political philosophies like anarchism. And uh, Toby, um, you actually revealed to yourself to you revealed to me about yourself that you're an anarchist uh, based on something I posted on Facebook, and uh, I was just really taken aback by uh, how um, how uh, eloquent um, and outspoken you were about your, your ideas and stuff. So that's what really drew me to you. Do you want to speak a little bit about uh, your research? Uh, I know you're a recent graduate from University of Guam and the political science program, so. Oh, yeah, uh, I just did a capstone paper um, regarding uh, testing for independence, whether uh, the origins of the visual media that we view have effects on uh, our political stance on the impending Guam plebiscite. So, yeah, there is a connection on what we selectively watch and how much we watch it and how that affects um, how we feel about the plebiscite, whether you're for independence or statehood or um, free association. Uh, it depends on what you watch. And I found that, uh, you know, not to throw rocks at any particular media source, but in local media, they reinforce the status quo. That's interesting that you put it that way. I was working on an abstract for a, a presentation I'm going to give in July, and um, yeah, the way the way that I I framed it also was that uh, I'm looking at mainstream media corporations who perpetuate colonial constructs, and those that uh, um, that offer more progressive ideas and effectually support decolonization. So I'm pretty cool. It's pretty cool that uh, we both see that. Um, I'm still waiting to read that paper, by the way. So <laughs> yeah, I'll finish editing it. See, the thing is, um, I'm actually uh, Filipino. I grew up in the Philippines, and mm-hmm. English is my second language. Oh wow! So when I'm typing, I take my time because my grammar is really bad. Uh, sometimes um, my grammar in Tagalog is really bad too. <laughs> so I'm kind of in twilight with the with both languages. Uh, but once it's done editing, I'll publicly put it out. I'll even put the raw data out for everyone to see. Nice. Are there any categories there in uh, your data subsets about people who watch the Kardashians and uh, whether they're more prone to? See, it's it's not that specific. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I didn't want to put a 
a particular show or network under scrutiny. So I just pretty much did it by region, it was, uh, like Western slash U.S., and then I put others, which is like Asia, South America, Latin America, so on and so forth, local. Um, yeah, and those are the categories, really. Uh, I wish I brought my paper here so you could look at over the, the methodology yeah. and um, see there is a connection. I don't want to say that the, for, uh, the origin of media and your stance on the plebiscite are dependent of each other but there is a connection right yeah uh, the study dependency i think it would take like focus groups and um other qualitative approaches uh, in research anyway mm -hmm. yeah uh, anytime then uh if you want if you want a second die on your paper i'd be down to look it over and whatnot um i picked up a book recently decolonizing anarchism and it's really cool. It's it's really it's awesome how she she presents anarchism and uh, Asian philosophies uh, as sharing uh, many commonalities, uh, things dependent independent of anarchism that uh, can work um, integratively with each other. So, can you guys talk a little bit about what anarchism is, um, what it's become in 2017 now, and um, what does the future look like? I mean, I know these are these are really deep hard questions but you know what, what do you guys think well it's just a huge question um because all right anarchism uh and arcos which is without rule so that's what the word means so the concept behind anarchism as it was developed in the western world um would be that you eliminate the state basically so the monarchy the whatever governing body there is you eliminate that and originally it was steeped in uh, you know, socialist kind of ideas, Marxism, um, where the proletariat, the working class, the people that do the labor in the society, uh, the bottom, that they would assume control when the state element was removed. Um, so <laughs> the reason why it's so big is because there's so many tendencies now, and even from the beginning, there's so many splinters and tendencies and different groups that really when you ask what anarchism is, that's the only explanation that will really suffice without getting into, you know, the nitpicking, the specifics of what each tendency is. So anarchism is simply uh, the society or the longing for a society, the work toward a society where the state doesn't control things. Mm -hmm. um, and I say also that it came up in the Western world because this is like as a intellectual movement, as a political movement, as you know, workers' movement as whatever it it started in the Western world, but it in you know it, its theory started there. But as a way of existing, um, that has been you know since human beings have been human beings. So the state is a pretty recent development in you know human life. So yeah, anarchism has existed since the beginning, yeah. just without the theoretical terminology and the intellectual school of thought. <laughs> yeah, with the school of thought uh, in the Western world, um, one of the um, most notable uh, events that occurred was the Haymarket riots, which is, uh, you know, um, the media framed it as anarchism, which is like the devil's work or something. These are criminals. And these are the people that got us our eight-hour workdays. Mm -hmm. uh, Anarcho-syndicalists, really specific. If you want to get messy and stuff. Specifically, there's a lot of uh, anarchists Kiss groups out there with uh, very well, not wouldn't say very different, but uh, 
Okay, very different philosophies. Uh, or there, there's some that are even just questionably hypocritical, like anarcho-capitalism. I mean, how does that even make sense at all? Sounds like libertarianism for poor people. <laughs> you were talking about um, different denominations uh, or different different people who identify as anarchists uh, and who who believe they have the same ideologies but have clashing ideas, really. You want to talk about that? Um, you, you mentioned you grew up in, uh, like, rural Washington, right? Yeah. And yeah, I left here when I was seven. I grew up in eastern Washington, uh, rural Washington, rural Idaho. So, fun. Yeah, real fun. There's a lot of white supremacists, a lot. Uh, the Aryan Nations compound was about 30 minutes away from my house wow. from driving. Um, there's a lot of racist skinheads around when I was growing up. So, mm. yeah. But uh, it got me interested in a lot of those uh, ideologies, not from a like agreement like standpoint, yeah. <laughs> but uh, just to know it. It's kind of a they, they're my, you know I consider them enemies, so the know thy enemy idea. Yeah, yeah. So I studied a lot of uh, fascist ideology as well, um, as well as coming into anarchism. But I think you're bringing that up because uh, I mentioned a certain far right tendency that's become quite popular. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, well, I wouldn't say quite popular, but it's been popularizing with some white nationalists, and it's called national anarchism. And so, you have on one hand national anarchists who are neo-tribalists, so they they believe that you know you create a society, and then you isolate yourselves basically. Um, and there's actually nothing inherently, I'd say wrong with that per se except that because many of them are white nationalists what they're proposing is that they create white separatist communities and essentially what that would have how that would work out because of the power dynamics with uh, colonialism with you know white supremacist governments and ideologies uh, that the western world has put all over the globe um, you know there's white privilege white power that would be maintained in these societies and ultimately when these people have most of the power if they create separate white communities they're just going to be shutting everybody out they're going to be building the wall like trump wants to only they're going to do it in every neighborhood mm. so yeah so but they they also get behind the idea of no state so uh, many of them end up talking about going back to almost like a feudalistic situation uh where they have a meritocracy or some sort of hierarchy of order that's determined on, you know, strength and intelligence, which they think would be, you know, kind of an alpha male situation. And this person would be in charge of the territory. And they would have their tribal territory where they would farm and keep, tra you know, keep, keep themselves sustained that way. Um, but, yeah, just coming in, it's the power dynamics mixed, you know, the modern power dynamics mixed into that that make it really, really... Um, problematic yeah but you have them on one side so you have white nationalists that are actually coming into anti-state tendencies and then you have uh, the syndicalists that persist who um, they're honestly like in my opinion I don't think they're really that hard on being against the state uh, they're very focused on like uh, proletariat control to to the point where they are okay with like bureaucratic uh, and uh, I'd say organizations like running things, which ultimately would lead to a state. <laughs> yeah. So really they're like a, a socialist and communists that are anti-state, but uh, don't, not to be confused with anarcho-communists because they see themselves differently as well. They're mm. pretty 
vehemently anti-state. Um, and then there's the green anarchist tendencies, uh, which are anti-civilization. Um, and so they see like the totality of hierarchy and systemic domination as coming from more than just the existence of the state. So they question like domestication, which is something that most people don't even think about. So uh, where are the roots of systemic domination in the domestication of plants and animals, um, in the sedentary lifestyles that people choose living in cities, living in agrarian societies. They have a pretty heavy critique of agrarianism. Um, so there's a lot of tendencies, very different. That's not even covering like the million there are. Uh, if you read, the, there's this postmodernist, Hakeem Bey, who actually even proposed uh, anarcho-monarchism. He called it the black crown. It, it's honestly, in my opinion, quite ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And it's like in, intellectual gymnastics in order to understand <laughs> it. Um, but in reality, it just, how does it even play out where you have a monarch in a non-state situation? That just, it's absurd. But mm -hmm. anyway, that there's quite a <laughs> disparity yeah. in tendencies. The black crown. That, that sounds like a quest in, a, in an MMO or something. <laughs> yeah, All right. Yeah. You know, all, when we talk about uh, white nationalism and um, tribalism played out in that way, mentally it feels like a world away because, uh, at least for me, in my circles, I'm used to talking about, um, I'm talking with settlers, white settlers, and uh, even people of other ethnicities who settle here. And uh, these are people who support decolonization mm -hmm. and uh, indigenous rights. And um, in fact, uh, Linda Tatro, if you guys are familiar, the environmentalist, um, she's better you better. Yeah, she's actually helping to organize uh, the latest resistance against the uh, Ritidian firing ranges. Oh, yeah. So there's a yeah. meeting. Um, it's this Wednesday. It's six, right? It's six o'clock at Timuning Community Center. So it, it's very interesting that you that you mentioned that. And um, in relation to that, uh, when I was speaking to Be Becca Garrison, she expressed a fear, sort of that uh, because Trump is now president. And uh, we have people like Paul Zerzan and other uh, um, white supremacists, perhaps, uh, speaking out in the media publicly, yeah. uh, stating um, these absurd thoughts, really. Um, she, she expresses a very real fear that there could be a, a white nationalist party on Guam. What, what would you say to that? I would say, look out for my boots. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a white nationalist on Guam, don't come around, don't come out, because mm. I will smash your face wow. at the end. <laughs> <laughs> well said, yeah. Um, in my field, those aren't things that I would say publicly. <laughs> I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad we're friends, so you can say it for me. But, um, yeah, as far as the cross-section goes between, um, well, where does where does anarchism and your political philosophy uh, align with uh, movements like independence? Okay, uh, well, with, with me, uh, I'll answer this first because I'm diaspora, I'm Filipino. I moved there maybe I was like 10. And I think looking at just, just looking at the region, it's kind of... Okay, we have that Dave Davis case, right? We're talking about uh, everyone being equal and having a say in the plebiscite. Right. I get it, but this is not about equality. This is about equity. If you look at the region, what what island doesn't have a say in what they want to be. That this is the principle of sovereignty. I mean, you know, a lot of people have said this already, and I don't want to repeat myself, but, uh, you know, I don't want to bring in the Philippines, but when the Philippines was colonized, right, 
it's just this, all all this globalization that's happening that's just keeping us all down. All this white philosophy that's been introduced that uh, for some reason we've we've been told all all our lives that liberal democracy is the way to go. It's the way of the world. When obviously right now, when you're looking at the world, there's this global trend that people are going to this nationalistic and isolationism ideas of building walls of like non-interventionist which is fine you know war is bad i get it non-intervention but where where does where does guam stand in all of this i I think we're really being left behind politically in terms of power anyway on what what we want to do or what the chamorros want to do not us what the chamorros want to do with themselves whether they want to have their own government that's not uh, impeded upon by Congress, which is a party somewhere in D.C. that doesn't even give a crap about us. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've got a lot of gripes about it, but whether do I have a say in the plebiscite or not, I don't think I should have a say at all. Mm. Uh, I'm not Chamorro. I don't got a single drop of Chamorro blood in me, yeah. although I've been injected to a Chamorro family <laughs> by steps, yeah. and I do love their culture. I don't have a say in it. Mm. That's interesting. So, um, you mentioned being diasporic. So, are you a first generation um, uh, U.S. citizen, or yeah? Yeah, I'm first generation U.S. citizen, and mm. uh, yeah, I'm not really proud of it, but I'm also first in my family to ever get a college degree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the reason I, I I'm inherently an anarchist, really. When it, the neighborhoods I grew up with in wasn't like the rich type of neighborhoods, it was uh, we call it barangays back there. But the barangay I was living in is like a squat neighborhood where the cops never came. Uh, people were forcefully evicted most of the time. But the way we maintained some form of law was there was this wall, and people wrote the laws that they wanted there. And there was only like 10 simple laws, and people were locked up for a couple of days for the little crimes they did, wow. and they were out. But that's a, you know, that's... That's our practice of punishment back there. But other than that, we never really let the state intervene. And, you know, looking at the Philippines at Duterte, there's this wave of nationalism that's happening. And his policy is very classist. If you look at it, I mean, there's a lot of uh, drug users. And I understand our reality. Oh, man, I don't want to talk about the realities I've seen with heroin and crack cocaine. Uh, His policy is classist, but I think it's going a little bit too far now. He's. It's debatable whether as to he's done some good. I think it's a matter of perspective. But are we going to wait till Guam has some kind of messy revolution to make changes, or are? I, I, can you just edit this out? I don't know where I'm going with this anymore. I'm <laughs> no, just no, blabbering. That's cool. I think yeah. you're you're on a pretty cool flow flow yeah. of thought there. So. One thing I want to touch on is uh, how you mentioned that um, because you're Filipino yeah. and you're diasporic here, uh, you don't feel like you have a say. But um, I, I just want to remind uh, people that uh, not all of the people who are classified as, na- as native inhabitants are Chamorro. And in fact, there are many Filipinos mm-hmm. who are classified as uh, being able to vote. So, Because okay. I feel like there's a tendency to forget also from uh, unfortunately from our Filipino brothers and sisters here on island and um it's also interesting that uh many people many Filipinos who were born here don't realize that the Philippines was once a uh, US colony 
Mm-hmm. So, and they themselves want their independence. But it's, yeah, it's interesting with how you mentioned growing up in a squat neighborhood and maintaining order without police. Yeah, I think that's that's the that that's one of the big conditions um, we face today as anarchists. Anyway, is not a lot of people have humility. We always rely on a third party to settle the score for us, and that's not anarchism at all. I mean, I could generally get along with most people if I wanted to, if I wanted to. Yeah. But <laughs> and I don't need a third party to tell me what's right or wrong. I mean, I won't do them any harm unless they do me harm. Mm. Cool. It's as simple as that, really. I mean, uh, he, you guys talk about uh, anarch- anarchism branching out and stuff. I'm actually a self-proclaimed Christian anarchist. Mm. Uh, the only authority I believe in is God, and there's not one mention of having a state there. Interesting. Uh, yeah. You, you want to add anything on? Oh, yeah. You mentioned that briefly, right? Uh, last time you spoke about um, your your roots in uh, that Christianity. That was my introduction into anarchism, actually. Yeah, yeah cool. <laughs> well, through through punk and hardcore, I got into punk and hardcore when I was fourteen. Well, oh, I just want to add Christianity in a biblical sense, not in a church inst- institutional sense, because <laughs> I don't support the previous imperialistic acts the church has yeah. done throughout history nice. at all. I don't even associate myself with the hierarchy of the church and the Vatican and none of that nonsense. Nice. And uh, as someone who is definitely not a Christian anymore, (laughs) I would say that uh, the church is something that we should consider when we talk about decolonization. Uh, That's probably a really unpopular thing here on Guam for me to say. I'm sure lots of people don't want to hear that. Uh, I feel like I know where you're, where you're heading, but just explain why why you think that is. Uh, well, the church, honestly, if we look at our own history, um, Spain came and went for about 100 years, right, without setting up at all. They just had a trade outpost here, and they didn't try and force Spanish culture on us. They didn't try and uh, colonize us, really, until somebody decided to set up a mission on Guam, and that's when we experience the colonization um, and the church all over the world uh, was used to transmit European values, to subdue indigenous populations. Uh, they committed violence. They, they raped and killed numerous you know, men, women, and children. They burned villages to the ground. They participated in genocide. They were at the forefront of it. They oftentimes funded these trips Uh, We talk about Christopher Columbus. I mean, he was blessed by the church. Mm -hmm. He was there uh, to Christianize the non-Western world. That's the the church was a giant component in in colonization and in genocide. And if you think that the teachings of the church somehow don't work in with that structure, then you're not seeing with eyes open. a lot of the doctrine as it's been transmitted is is expressly to pacify groups of people. This was a really big thing. Um, honestly, as helpful as doctrines of forgiveness can be as well, uh, those are oftentimes used against oppressed people. You're taught that you should forgive people that hurt you, people that subdue you, uh, people that come and take your land and send your children off to schools and make sure you don't know your own language. So it's, it's a, a very pervasive thing. It, it goes into all society. Here in Reduccion, uh, we centered all the villages around the church. 
I mean, we have to go to the Lansu to even speak our own language. Um, it wasn't quite to the point where the U.S., where it was English only and you get a fine for speaking Chamal, but Spanish, they wanted you to speak Spanish because that was, that was the top language. And, you know, they wanted you to be Catholic because it was the only faith. And, you know, that that is colonization. <laughs> so if you're not willing to take a good, hard look at every aspect of how you've been conditioned, like how you view, how you view the world, everything, like your spirituality, how you view sexuality, everything, if you're not willing to look at that, I don't really feel like you're going through a decolonization process. I mean, even if you choose to, like, to still believe, like Toby does. Well, I mean, I, if you... I used to be atheist. Oh. And we're kind of like, we were the opposite end of the spectrum. So that's what he's talking about. You got to question everything. Right. And question yourself. Like, what is really your place in this world? It's very philosophical. It might take you a couple months, a couple of years <laughs> sitting down thinking about it to search for yourself. Or forever. Or forever. <laughs> it becomes an existential crisis. <laughs> But that's that's how that's how thorough it is. That's how thorough colonization is. Um, it's it's in our very genes at this moment too. You know, changing the diet. Everybody talks about diets, decolonizing diets, etc. Um, it's it's a part of your very fabric of existence now. So if you're going to do it, like it's it's a real change. And you and I talked about this before too. Yeah. How um, on Guam people shy away from radical. If you're accused of being a radical, it's like a dirty word mm-hmm. it's really bad and most people want to say no 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 that's not me at all i just want independence or i just support chamorro rights those kinds of things well radical what that means is is to go to the root if you're not getting to the roots then you're not really fixing the problem are you you know you can prune a tree you can <laughs> do all sorts of things you're not going to get rid of the root you're not going to uproot the problem mm-hmm. so i think that's important and as you asked earlier um you were asking about connecting decolonization and anarchism, right. like our ideas. So for me, um, anarchism, as as the Western idea, is about, like I said, removing systems of domination. Um, and decolonization is removing systems of domination that have been provided by colonizers. Um, it's really the same thing uh, as far as its praxis. Now, the theoretical part where, you know, there's no state, et cetera, uh, people could squabble over that. But the truth is, even with the hard, you know, stratified societies in the Pacific or anywhere, uh, you can find examples where there was no state. You know, just because you have a hierarchy in your society or you have leaders, et cetera, it doesn't mean that there's a state system put in put into work, into effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm of the mind that we did not have a state before European contact in Guam, even with the caste system that we supposedly had, or, you know, I, I don't see any markings of a state there, even with a horticulturalist or agricultural society that we had, there's no state, <laughs> you know, who's the head of state, who's the bureaucratic organizations that are heading it up, you know, there's, there's nothing there. So I feel like if we decolonize and we're heading back to indigenous traditions, I think all over the world, you can see that we were living without the state. So that's how I think they tie together. I think that they're, you know, honestly, it's not that it's not the decolonization fits into anarchism or that anarchism fits into decolonization. I think they come from the same root. Mm-hmm. I think that they come from this human root, this human aspect where we were free without the state, where we developed and organized our societies by consent and with each other. And, you know, we lived within our means. And I think that that is how they tie together. Beautifully said, man. 
Um, podcast over. Just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, that was great. Uh, do you have anything you wanted to add to that? I mean, that I was a lot. Covered up much to this. He 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 he's more familiar with Guam's decolonization. Yeah. And just, but I'm, I'm not sure if you mentioned this in your introduction, but you're a, a Chamorro studies major. Uh, double major. Double major. Yeah, that's anthropology right. and Chamorro studies. An, yeah. Book <laughs> yeah, <laughs> since political science came from anthropology, you bet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but if anyone out there is wondering, um, you know, Marx why is, is political anthropologist. Yeah, why is this dude so knowledgeable about uh, Chamorro history and culture, then there you have it. Maybe that's why there's so many uh, scholars in... Uh, political status movements mm-hmm. uh, is because we've actually taken the steps to question um, our thinking and going to the root. And so perhaps maybe you're right. That is something that for everyone to consider, even if you're not in the walls of academia, um, you know, it's something for right now, if you're listening to this, if you adhere to Catholic principles and um, you've taken everything thus far uh, without so much as uh asking a question uh, maybe this is the time for you to start asking those questions within yourself so why do i think this way you know yeah. i also uh, want to add something about academia i mean uh yeah higher education is good mm-hmm. well that's how we look at it uh me and mike previously discussed this already uh would our you know school systems or the world following suit with western accreditation sort of standards of what intellectual is and what's a scholar uh you got to be skeptical too, because sometimes um, other academics, you know, they do research. You know, I'm not going to discredit their work, their literatures, uh, but there, there's, there's some instances where I've seen students who will just gobble up anything that's cited, and so what they do is they perpetuate these realities uh, that these other academics want them to project out there, uh-huh. and so. To me, uh, as an anarchist, I think it defeats the purpose if you're just going to gobble up everything. Because even even uh, literature and anarchism, I even, I'm even skeptical of it, too. Uh, I don't believe in truths. I believe in real events. There's mm-hmm. a big difference. You know, truths can be constructed, yeah. and people forget that. Uh, look at the media. They hop on anyone that's been caught by the police despite being proven guilty in a court of law and all yeah. that jazz. And then we demonize them and social media. That's a good example. That's an everyday example we can look mm-hmm. at. Interesting. Yeah. You see that happen to our uh, Chukis brothers and sisters as well, where if anybody gets busted, suddenly it's every Chukis person in the world that's yeah. awful. So, yeah, it's uh, the constructed truths. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was going to jump on that too with education, um, decolonization. You, you have to uh, consider education as part of the colonial... Uh, arm, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it's neocolonization. Yeah, it's neo neocolonialism. Yeah. We're taught Western ways. We're taught that they're the best ways, and mm-hmm. uh, even when you're taught to quote unquote question, as Toby was saying, uh, oftentimes it's just to perpetuate the same thing. So, yeah. um, you know, you you take all these uh, sociology courses or blank studies courses, and really you're just learning, you know, how to perpetuate, you know, Western liberal democracy and capitalism, but Coexist by yourself. Well, I mean, you did that without returning. You did that without you know, 
but what what I'm saying is that they use multiculturalism um, in a way to make people feel like they're not a single man. So you can, like growing growing up in the states, I saw this a lot. You can eat your food, you can speak your language at home, you can you know wear traditional dress, like all those things. Like you can practice your religion. That's great. That's fine. But you have to participate in the economy. You have to be active. You have to eventually learn English. Your children will. You know, even if you don't, um, you will learn Anglo-Saxon principles and you'll be able to get the law. That's just how it works. So you don't feel like you're assimilated because you can keep your material culture. You know, certain aspects of your symbolic culture you will go into. But the truth is, is you're integrated completely. Mm. You don't keep your identity So, and, and what is American? It's white settler colonial culture. Yeah. Um, so, even if you come to the States as a person of color, as an indigenous person, you absorb into the culture, you maintain certain things, but you don't maintain an identity. Like, at the core, you're still becoming you know, another worker, another, another capitalist nation. Mm. You know, you don't care about getting what you're devalued. Yeah. Simple things like I want to talk about uh, imagining a, a political future through decolonization. themselves from you know uh, material things and uh, yeah. cultural elements that they feel like they can't live without uh, specifically like uh, high tech mm. technology industry um, a lot of people really don't want to part with that and I think when we were talking before when we had coffee uh, you mentioned that some people are afraid of, of the regression, regression of mm-hmm. you know, or, uh, like regressing and I later made a point when I, I sent you the message uh, trying to get the point across is that uh, moving back into like a subsistence economy or losing industrial society, uh, not having like these high-tech advancements, it, it's not really a regression. Um, and this, this is simply because society doesn't evolve. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we don't go from jungle to hunter to, to tribe to state like in an evolution. That's how they used to think about it that's just not how it works yeah. because everything exists side-by-side. Side. Um, so to get away from technology, especially because technology is something that we've developed for our own use, um, to, to get new technology, we don't see that as regression or regression. Mm-hmm. You know, either way, we're not going to lose that. We'll just be adapting to a different way. Because right. um, there's, no, there's no evolution in the process there. Yeah. <laughs> so, sorry, we're <laughs> so, but the way I think about things, because I, I myself find the Green Lantern's critique um, important, um, even if, you know, I wouldn't say it like as an ideology. Like, I wouldn't say, oh, if you plant something, you're a terrible person and the state's going to prop up right in your backyard. Like, nothing like that. Um, but I feel that it's important to think about things more than just uh, uh, like political 
like once you get independence, it's a little easier for me. Like I understand. Mm-hmm. But for me, I'm beating around the bush. Um, honestly, I, I would say going back to the back end, going back. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, living off the land, uh, not having the full security. Uh, and this is, I know that's an oxymoron, uh, <laughs> which is why I'm not preaching that or trying to uh, get some t-shirts that say yeah. that I want. But that's what I want. Nice, man. I think I've met a few other people that, that share those sentiments as well, so... Yeah, they people who wouldn't mind um, uh, not going back, but uh, a more uh, an existence more in tune with the environment, really. Yeah. yeah. So, what about you, Toby? Yeah, uh, we're just not using this is what we figured it out. But uh, I don't think modernity is really like the culture killer. It's how we <laughs> <laughs> it's we how we apply our studies and so on and our research. Because I mean, you brought up the other day that we get so much challenge of bringing them home. Mm-hmm. Why are we really focusing our attention on it? Uh, I don't know. It's just the state is is even needed to get things done like that. Uh, the conditions and zones, it's it can be done. Mm-hmm. It, it takes imagination to get out of that liberal mindset. You know that construction limitation that you got to do things for zoning and whatnot. Uh, there's other ways. Uh, it's true what Mike said. People are too caught into escapism and distractions we have in our daily lives. And we live a sedentary life, most of us. Um, but I, I want to get away from the typical green anarchist answer of just living off the land. But we, we live off the land, but at the same time apply our what we learn from the sciences. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But that shouldn't be our main focus. But sometimes we, we, I think the condition that we like the most is a small society by humanity. And like I said earlier, it's always a third party that needed a third party to intervene and to decide what this region should be and what shouldn't be. And that's why the long term is needed. Uh, okay. That reminds me of something else about China. Yeah, yeah, go. Uh, where I was talking about how I feel like pursuing the UN and other big nations mm-hmm. in support of ah. Right. So it, this is when I brought up um, uh, forming a, a, a legal nation of sorts, right? Mm-hmm. A nation without a state. Yeah. Go. What, what were you going to say? Oh, I was saying, like, we, instead of looking upward, because, I mean, the UN's never going to enforce, uh, you know, wrongdoing like that. They won't enforce it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because there would be a war over a tiny territory in the Pacific. But, I mean, if it's a state, if the UN didn't want to pull out, regardless of what we wanted, like, they would have to force them out, you know? Yeah. The UN's not going to send troops over to force the U.S. out. It's just not going to happen. Mm. So even if they're, like, full support, like, yeah, independent, you get to determine what's happening here, the self-determination, you pick independence, all right. <laughs> you know, the states be like, uh, no. <laughs> and the UN's going to be like, and you have our full support, and good luck. <laughs> you know? Or we go to China, and we're like, China... Uh, let's work out a deal where, you know, you can support us and you won't invade us, right? No? No? Cool. And then, you know, what, they're going to fight the U.S. for us? Mm-hmm. To be independent? Yeah. So what we were talking about, I was saying it needs to reach across horizontally to other indigenous communities, nice. other islands. Like, how many indigenous communities, how many islands in the world 
because you know we support each other. Like in the Pacific, all these islands, and then going to the Americas and meeting people there that we can get to um, just work and meet them. So we can support mm-hmm. each other in, in other ways. Yeah. You know, you just reminded me of uh, Carlisle Corbin. Are you familiar? Okay, well, he's um, an international policy mm. master. I'm not sure what his official title is. <laughs> but uh, he's worked uh, uh, for decades now with uh, uh, political status. And he's from the Virgin, I- the U.S. Virgin Islands. And it's it's really cool that he comes here quite frequently, I think maybe like once or twice a year, um, to teach classes on uh, political status and decolonization. And um, that's just one example of how uh, we colonize peoples, native peoples who are suffering under oppression from the United States can uh, uh, reach across towards each other horizontally, as you mentioned, uh, to um, form solidarity. So uh, while uh, Mike and Toby were talking, Bavakwa and uh, Issa walked in. Guys, did you have any questions for our guests today? No, you Okay. <laughs> nice, nice. I'll, I'll entertain a few. Do you have? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I've been holding it. Yeah. We're we're doing pretty good on time. But um so just just to try and inform our listeners uh about what anarchism isn't cuz I think there's a stigma that anarchism is uh is uh extreme <laughs> extreme violence and you know like chaos and you know it's not libertarianism and it's not anonymous mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> minimal government is not anarchism yeah. uh, also um, yeah the idea that if anarchism were to be a state of existence that it would just be constant chaos and everyone would be killing each other like Mad Max or something that's not what anarchism is. It's not what anarchists envision. Um, as far as violence goes, I'm not going to touch that because honestly, touch it. yeah, <laughs> um, sometimes it's necessary. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a response. Yeah, um, I think that the way people view violence is through the lens of the state, and that is that the state sanction sanctions it. The state can do it, mm-hmm. but nobody else can. Yeah, and that's just that's how it's been. And if you say that it's okay to use it, then Interesting. <laughs> Dude, is that is that what power violence is? Because uh, I see no, on no, Facebook... No, okay, can you can you explain to me, please? Because I see that on your Facebook all the time, and I'm like, uh, what is that? Power violence is just a just 30-second song. Okay. And then the most of Curdy, like, making... Like, taking it's hardcore punk. It's hardcore <laughs> punk. That's about it. 30-second yeah. mm. song, so uh, is the uh, Pen Pineapple, Apple Pen uh, <laughs> song <laughs> not... Uh, it has more going on than that song. Okay. <laughs> Check out our band. Our band's called Dave Davis. Okay. Wait, are you being serious with me? Like, well, we're kind of that... demo. Oh, nice. Yeah, awesome. Do you guys have a SoundCloud or something we can yeah. shout out? Yeah. Uh, the EP's called You're Wrong. So okay. You're Wrong. You're Wrong. Awesome, man. <laughs> okay, cool. He has, like, vocal cords of gold. I got, like, fingers of lead. Nice. It works out. Beautiful. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, some people can't get enough of it, yeah. obviously, which is why our work is so hard. So, um, cool. Uh, any shout outs, you guys, any plugs? You mentioned the band Dave X Davis, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, shout out to Ken Cooper. 
Nice. Homie. <laughs> cool. Toby? Yeah, man, shout outs. Awesome. Um, so, so homie Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I was going to add, actually, if you're interested in uh, Christian anarchism, because I know there are a lot of Christian folks here in Laguna, and if you really want to figure that out, you want to question Christianity, or if you want to find some way to put together your decolonization and anarchism with, with Christ, uh, check out Jesus Radicals or In the Land of the Living. In the Land of the Living. Yep. It's a good I'm going to plug it. Uh, in the Land of the Living is a group of, their, their website is now defunct. I don't know mm-hmm. how they're really involved anymore, but they're in the States, and they're a group of uh, Jews and Christians that are uh, interested in being like this too. So nice. Jesus Radicals definitely are a lot of uh, hard left and post-structuralist Christians on that. It's, it's a gateway. Christianity can be a gateway. As long as you look at the church as a, in, like I said, in a biblical sense and not an institution, right? Because yeah. the hierarchy is an institution and I can't even stand it. It's like, you know, why do I have to bow to a pope? It's like another state of his own that yeah. you know, breaks different rules. He does have a cool hat, <laughs> though. <laughs> so. <laughs> nice. Awesome, guys. Well, thank you. Yeah, go ahead. No, no. Well, we, there's more things we can cover. Maybe we could do like another episode at a later time. Sure. Yeah, we were, I was really nervous. I don't know. <laughs> I'm okay. I stuttered a lot or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I w- uh, anti-shout out to uh, the state of improv. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Up to one, two. <laughs> <laughs> you probably don't want to broadcast that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, guys. I, um, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, coming out here and meeting with us uh, in an institution of itself. You know, right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but again, an example of how uh, we can sort of mesh and figure out this uh, anti-colonial space. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Fenatsu is created by the Media Committee of Independent Guahan. Independent Guahan's mission is to empower the Chamorro people to reclaim their sovereignty as a nation. Inspired by the strength of their ancestors and with the love for future generations, they seek to educate and unify all who call Guam home in order to build a sustainable and prosperous independent future. Feedback and questions can be sent to independentguahan at gmail.com, all one word. For more information, head to www.independentguahan.com or look for us on Facebook and Instagram. Ihinengainga Independent Guahan, Araba Yenafanataknya Yaman Tamoru, Pawatituli Tati Diretota Komo Unashon, Gihilutano, Gini Minekut Niha Yimanyanata, Dani Gwinezata Nui Famago Umtamotna, Inakekefan Manungo, Dan Nakekefanetun Todu Itato Siha, Nimanyasagagi Ininatano, Pawatanat Letfetna Ida Guahan, Ni Todu Inina Senyata, Kosiki Senyata Fanlatla Maulik Motna, Fanatsu, Hita Latmun.